Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message entitled Choosing Reality was given by Darren Roundson and is the 13th in our series, Sermon on the Mount. All right, so hey, a couple of things. Uh, we're going to continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. There's some Bibles over there. And if you're sitting next to a bunch of Bibles, you're going to be a, 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 an usher and you're going to pass them out. So just raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible. We're talking through this Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this Sermon on the Mount is really about what it means to be a disciple. We've been kind of speaking through this for some time. And we're going to continue through uh, this week and next week. And then February 28th, we're going to do a Lent series. And we're going to talk about um, how we can prepare for Easter Sunday. And I think what we're working on is possibly seven deadly sins, distortions of love. How sin gets in the way of um, how we live our life with God. And I'm excited for that. So, two weeks Lent series. Um, Let's see here. What do I have to say? Um... I have a praise report. This is so cool. Last time I taught a couple weeks ago, I shared that my wife's stepfather, Eric, had a stroke. And he's been paralyzed and can't speak. And um, he's young, has an eight-year-old son. Well, I just got news today that he said I love you to his eight-year-old son yesterday. So cool. So I just wanted to share that because I know you guys have been praying for us. And I really appreciate your prayers. But keep praying. That's just a miracle for us. So, um, Awesome. Okay, hey, I'm going to tell a story. I, was, uh, I went to Vanguard University. Yeah, Vanguard. And um, can I stand down here without it interfering? Cool. I, was at, I went to Vanguard University, and uh, I studied pastoral leadership. And I knew God called me to be a pastor when I was a sophomore. And when I graduated, I did what every uh, person does when they graduate. Well, well, at least some Christians do, at least. Um, the first thing I did was I thought I was going to get a job immediately as a pastor, because that's what I studied in college. And I guess that's a lie. For those of you that are in college, I'm sorry. When you graduate, you start applying for jobs. Most of the time, you do things that have nothing to do with your major, or what you studied, or what you're passionate about. So I'm sorry if that's bad news or news to you, but that's what happens sometimes. So I started applying for jobs. And of course, I didn't get the job, any job. I applied for 10 different youth pastors, associate pastors, everything. In fact, I applied to Rock Harbor where I was volunteering as a youth worker and I was volunteering as the lead kind of um, uh, middle middle school uh, youth group leader. And they said that I wasn't qualified for the thing I was doing as a volunteer. So that was shocking to me. Um, And then they'll send me out as their first church planner, which is hilarious to me. Um, But I think think they were right. I'm horrible with kids. So... um, that's why we have a children's ministry with other people. Anyways, so I, 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 was, um, I was looking for jobs. And the other thing that you do if you go to a Christian college is if you have a serious relationship, you get engaged. It's just the rule. And of course, I, um, I was working towards getting engaged. So I got engaged, and I was looking for jobs. This was the summer before um, any, my life really happened or whatever. So um, I'm looking for jobs, and, and as I get engaged, I obviously have to buy a ring. That's what you do. And I had no money at the time, so I go to a family friend, he's a jeweler, and I say, hey, um, can I work off some of my ring, because I was that cool. And he said, yes, you can work off some of your ring. And so I did. He hired me part-time to work in his office, where I started working for this jeweler. And he, it was amazing. 
he was a high-end jeweler. We would go to LA and we would um, bring thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of jewelry to these high lofts in LA where we would work with the jewelry district. Um, we, I just started working in his office and I started changing his whole business around. Um, something about me really liked jewelry, I guess. And I don't know why. But um, the systems and stuff, I just started working as a jeweler. Now this is, this is where the story gets interesting. No one's hiring me as a pastor, and my identity was getting rocked. Apparently, I'm not called. But all of a sudden, I'm being elevated where this part-time position becomes a full-time position. This office assistant becomes sal- or a, a, um, a salesperson. And there came a point in my life where now I was working full-time as a jeweler. Nobody was wanting to hire me at all. Um, and and I, all of a sudden, I start elevating myself because what happens is he's offering me a full-time position. I'm being flown out to New York. I'm buying different clothes. We get caught up, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. If I am, I'll confess this for all of us. But you get caught up in whatever you're in, right? So here I am, working as a jeweler, and Rock Harbor offers me this position. And the position was simply this. Uh, We're going to hire you for two years. You don't really know what you're going to do. It's something to do with reach. And after two years, you have to go. We're not even going to tell you how much you're going to make, but we we think you're the guy for this job. So I was given two proposals. One was this, and this is just part of my story. Work at Rock Harbor, I was engaged with no certainty at all. Literally no certainty. I didn't even know what I was going to be doing. I didn't even want to work in reach. And then I, I was offered at the same, during the same week, this, this uh, jeweler offered me full-time position in his, in his office as a sales associate with possibility of ownership in the company, promised to, um, to have a, a company car, computer, fly at least four times to New York a year, where I was working with Macy's and various other places all in San Francisco as well. And that was the choice I had. And the truth is this. I had no idea. I had no idea what I was supposed to do anymore. Let's go to transition. I'm horrible at them. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. <laughs> I've been practicing. I'm like, where can I transition? I'm just going to go right to it. <laughs> Why not? Jesus kind of does that. He does. He totally does. We just got through with fasting, and now he's talking about treasures. What the heck? Okay. Verse 19 in chapter 6. I'm, I'm reading from NRSV. I'm sorry if it's not the same. I just prefer this, and um, you're just going to have to deal with the, the other translations. Uh, it says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So obviously it's great transitions, but, but here we go. Jesus says, um, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consumes and where thieves break in and steal. All of a sudden, Jesus is talking to his disciples this whole time about what it means to live in the kingdom. We've learned the last few weeks, it's been a while now, we're we're learning about anger, we're learning about lust, we're learning about all the different aspects of kingdom life. And Jesus comes to a point where he just makes it very clear. 
we have a choice as disciples. If you say yes to Jesus, we now have a choice. We either actually live in the kingdom of heavens right now, or we live in the kingdom of earth, the kingdom of the world. That's the choice we're going to be forced, uh, the choice we're going to, be forced to, to answer. Which we have a choice. We either live in that now, or we live in the kingdom of the earth now. And so treasures, he uses this word, treasures is, is a metaphor that for the things that we value most. So for the word treasure, I want you to replace it with values. What are the things in your life that you value? What are the things that you hold high up? What are the things that you store and save? I mean, we can, we can talk about Valentine's Day cards. Some of us save those because there's something about our loved ones affirming us that we, we cherish, we value. We can talk about finances. That's an obvious one. Treasures is always used here as, as kind of the, the financial aspect of wealth, of money. That's part of it, but that's not just it. I want you to begin right now, and I'm talking to you. I'm not just speaking vaguely. Right now, as I begin to talk, think about what you treasure most. What are your treasures? And where are they? So allow that to kind of sit, sit with you for a while as we kind of talk through this. So if you think about treasures, think about this. What are the things that you, you kind of work towards? Um, and ex- I, it's kind of vague. For me, it was hard to think of treasures because I could say, okay, I, I value family. That's good, right? Some of us value family. I value um, security, being safe. So what does that represent oftentimes? How does security play itself out? Well, I, I want to buy a home. I want to have a home and take care of my family. That's kind of all in the treasuring of family and security. Are you guys following that? Some of us treasure our, our image, how people see us. Some of us treasure um, just finances in general, knowing that there's money in the bank account actually has value to us. It should for most of us. Because what happens when, when our treasures are stepped on or when we lose those things? We get anxious, right? Things start working out differently. Okay, another way to think of treasures, too, is, is capital. That's a, that's a gr- good business word, capital. Um, there are a variety of theories out there, but I would say that um, there, there are probably five capitals out there. We all have five capitals. And forgive me if this doesn't connect, but I think the five are spiritual capital, uh, relational capital, physical capital, Physical capital is probably the, the uh, most confusing. That's probably time, energy. These are the ways that we can invest ourselves. Uh, intellectual capital is the fourth. And the fifth would be financial capital, of course. So as we think of treasuring, which everyone treasures, we need to think about where are we investing our capital? Where do we invest our financial capital? Where do we invest our time and energy? Where do we invest our relational capital? Where are our relationships invested in? And what Jesus is now doing is saying, as a disciple, treasures become the single most distractions, the single largest distraction in discipleship. Let me say that again because I obviously messed that one up. Um, <laughs> treasures become the single greatest distractions. Single greatest, I'm the single greatest distraction. Here we go. The teacher says yes. In our discipleship to Jesus Christ. So we have to choose. And we're, I'm going to ask it today. We have to choose. What reality are we living in? The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of earth? Because what he says, uh, let me do a quick disclaimer too. 
What Jesus is not saying is that we can't save money to buy a home. That is not what's being said here. Storing up treasures on earth um, is completely different than treasure, what Jesus talks about treasures in heaven. We actually, it's actually a good thing for us to have provision for our family, to actually save for a home. That's okay. He's not saying that we have to be poor. But what he is saying is if our treasures are in the earthly things, they're going to rust. They're going to lose value. And so the call for discipleship is that we value things that will last for a lifetime and actually last for eternity. That's what treasures in heaven mean. And in fact, I just want to make this clear because I know I was feeling this way. I'm like, wait, can, can I not buy, save money for a rainy day in, in case something bad happens? Is that what it means? It doesn't mean that. It has to do with what we value and how our lives kind of reveal that value in us. Or really, we'll get there in a second, how our hearts reveal that exact treasure. Um, so, treasures in heaven. Um, what are treasures in heaven? Well, this is kind of a confusing one, because I'm thinking, okay, I, I know what treasures in heaven is. When I die, I'm going to meet Peter at the gate. This is poor theology. I'm sarcastic right now. Um, when I die and Peter's at the gate, he's going to let me in. He's going to wander me up. Wander me. He's going to walk me up. I can't do mornings. I'm, I'm, I miss the night service. Amen? No. Um, you guys aren't going to be here. You guys are all the morning people. Um, but he's going to walk me up to my mansion because by then I've obviously stored up enough that I'm, going to re- I'm just going to have this ma- majestic mansion. He's going to give me this giant crown, a scepter, a purple robe. I don't want purple but I'll say, I'll take it because it's from Jesus. Um, and that's what it means to have treasures in heaven. And I'm just, I know there's going to be rooms full of all this stuff. But that's, that's a horrible understanding of treasures in heaven. Jesus has been talking this whole time that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember Bill keeps talking about this weird thin space that we live in? We're, we're, we're living on earth, but we, are, we have access to the heavenly realms right now as disciples of Jesus that actually God himself invades our life through his spirit so we can actually now minister out of his power. Treasures in heaven are things that line up with the intimate places God is moving on earth right now. Where do you see God moving on earth in your life right now? Those are the things that are treasures in heaven. I joked about this, but I think it's great theology um, with my life group. I said, I believe when Jesus comes and marries the new heaven and the new earth and restores all, thing to, all things together, when that happens, we're gonna, by the way, do most of us know we have physical bodies when we're resurrected? That's kind of a side note. I've been talking to some people. We're going to be physically resurrected and walk on earth. And when those things are restored once and for all, I truly believe that what's going to be revealed to us, the treasures in heaven, will be the things that we did on earth where God was moving. I said this, how amazing will it be when we see the garden, community garden, lasting for eternity? That's kind of a side note. I'm sorry if I confused some of you. I got some looks. That's what eternal impact looks like. That's what investing and treasures in heavens look, looks like. Do, do I have any questions? Is that confusing? Be honest. We can have a little discussion. We're good? Treasures in heaven. So Jesus expects his disciples to invest in things that will last for eternity and actually have a great return of investment. 
That's, that's a whole other sermon. But when he talks about the parable of the talents, we all have in, uh, capital that we get to invest. Right? So I just listed five. Jesus is expecting us to have some type of return of investment that will be glorifying to him. Amen? Let me get some just head nods, some cheers. All right, we're, we're moving on. So, um, that's the difference between the treasures of heaven and the treasures of earth. Um, when we invest in the things that God's, in, um, God's holding, those things last for eternity. We need to know that. So we're called to invest in those things. But then he says something that's really interesting. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here I was as a jeweler at the time, wanting to be a pastor. And as a jeweler, I had this ridiculous question. Was God calling me to, become, to be a pastor? Or was I supposed to be a jeweler and do kind of that calling thing, the pastor thing on the side? Because I felt I was called to the church. And as a disclaimer, this isn't for everyone. This was an obvious kind of call for me. I was called into the church and I was confused about it. Not everyone, in fact, most people aren't called to the church to serve in the church. We're called to be missionaries outside of it. Amen? For the people that are called into the church, this is a little ecclesiology, we are called to equip you for the ministry that God's given you outside of this space. And we come together on Sunday to celebrate and to inspire and to be equipped in order to be doing all the other stuff outside. So here I was, trying to make this decision. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And notice he's not saying, let me make sure I get this right. So what he is saying is that um, treasure is a good indicator of where, where your heart is. He's not saying that your heart follows your treasure. He's not saying that your heart follows your treasure. What he's saying is that the treasure follows your heart. Now notice, so here I was, I was a jeweler. Ah, what, what did this represent to me, honestly? It represent, represented status, image. Flying business to um, New York. It represented security. I was, I was engaged, and for those of us that have been engaged, there is this unbelievable amount of weight of wanting to provide for our spouses. That's natural. And I was looking at Rock Harbor's offer, and I'm thinking, this is not very wise. This is two years. I mean, how... what? What am I supposed to do with that? This had long-term impact. This had financial blessing beyond this. I would be way better off financially than I would as a pastor. So what did that represent? Security? Status? Image? What did that reveal? Why was, it, why was the decision so difficult for me? Because my heart was here. Right? It's not that my heart brought my, or I'm sorry, <laughs> what it revealed was my, under all this stuff, under all the status, all the junk of security, thinking that security was in the world, that somehow if God called me to be a pastor, he would actually provide, not knowing that, that knowing that I could make as much money as I could and provide for my family. Under all that treasure was my heart. That's why it was impossible for me to say, I want to be a pastor. Because my, my heart was being revealed to me. And I didn't know it at the time. I look back and I realize that's why it was so difficult. I don't know if that illustration is helpful, but here's what happened for me. Literally, God pushed me off and made me take the job at Rock Harbor. In fact, I was praying 
This is so crazy. I was praying in Newport on the pier, and it was like the day before I had to decide. And I was convinced I was going to be a jeweler. I was completely convinced. And I'm like, all right, God, I'm going to have it out with you on the pier. So I sit down. And in a matter of minutes, I'm praying, God, what do you want me to do? These two high school kids, blonde-haired girls, walk up to me, and I'm like, crap. They're going to want to talk or whatever. And they simply go this. Hey, we're, they say this. We're, we're praying for people. And uh, we feel like God's telling us to tell you that you're supposed to take the job at the church. And I obviously said, how on earth did you know that? Um, excuse me, I just broke this. And uh, obviously began to cry because I was like, God is real. And uh, <laughs> did I drop my journal back there? Like, what happened? And, uh, and I took the job at Rock Harbor, and it's been the greatest... Um, adventure for me. But I, that's my story. That's my obvious uh, illustration in my life where all of a sudden my heart was revealed. Now here's what's scary. is I, I, come, I become a pastor and guess what I'm still concerned about? Status, security, image. It's not that that was the answer, that was the, the, the negative thing. It's that it goes wherever your heart is. It's just a symbol of where my heart was at the time. Where you're treasure is, there your heart will be. So for us, we need to start asking that question. Where do you see your treasure? Because that will reveal your heart. And then Jesus does a transition like I do, um, which is amazing. And he says this weird thing. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So in, in the first century, uh, it would have been easy for us to understand this, but we don't have the same view. In the first century, um, Jewish people had an understanding that your physical eye let in light to your inner person. You guys know an inner person? Your, your spirit, your heart, your inner, your inner being. So if your eye that led in physical light was good. It wasn't coveting. It was actually following God's way. If it let that type of light in, your, inner, your, your whole body, your inner being was actually good. That's what the illustration is. is what he, that's what Jesus is saying. And if you let in darkness or if you coveted or if you, you followed the dark path, you let darkness into your whole body. What Jesus is saying is actually that it, it, it would be like him saying, if, if what you think is light is actually darkness then you're lost. Let me explain this. So, uh, addictions. Those of us that have struggled with addictions or are addicted to things, we get this. We actually think that the thing that is the most destructive force is good for us. We're per- our, our, our view is perverse. Does that make sense? Or for those that have struggled with body image, I'll just confess, I, in high school, had a body image issue. I was overweight. It's not just a... a, a some, uh, an issue that women struggle with. And this is what happened to me. I literally would look into a mirror after I grew to how I look now and see an overweight kid. My image was distorted by this past darkness. Does that, does that make sense? So it's as if Jesus is saying, if you don't have a frame of reference like the kingdom of God, which is reality, the kingdom of earth is not reality. But if that's your frame of reference, you're lost. So if you don't have a frame of reference, then your greatest treasure or your greatest wisdom is actually foolishness and rust. 
That's what that little section means. And then he goes on which, um, and talks about um, slaves and masters. He says, No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is a very unique passage. Jesus, in all of his ministry, does not name other gods, lowercase gods. He names the lowercase god mammon, or wealth. Jesus just named a master of material things. And what he's doing is he's setting us up. He's saying, well, what are your treasures? Have treasures in heaven. And if they're not in heaven, then guess what? Inevitably, your treasures that you think serve you actually master you. You become slaves to the very things that you treasure. How does that work? Well, I think it works like this. If you treasure the kingdom of God, then you treasure the things of the Spirit. Gentleness, kindness. So you treasure like relationships. And what happens? What does Jesus say about relationships? Well, you're to serve under them, right? So you, you become servants. That's a good thing. But here's what happens. Imagine if I had an issue with image. That was my treasure. I valued my image. And I know none of us struggle with this. Think about what that does. How do we serve how does that master us? Well, my diet changes. I eat a certain type of food. Probably my workout schedule increases. Probably the type of clothes with the certain labels are now the things that I have to purchase. And not only do I have to buy those clothes, but now I have to work a little harder to actually pay for the membership, to pay for the organic food, and actually pay for, the, uh, for uh, those types of clothes. That's one example of how that image that we value enslaves us. What about security? Well, I, I want to I feel secure. So how do I feel secure? Well, uh, one way is if I own a home. So what do I do? I start saving money. I need to save more. That's not a bad thing. But actually, now I'm going to work more. My life changes around my work schedule in order to put an extra few bucks in my savings account so I don't go out with friends and buy money, uh, spend time with them necessarily. So I'm on my phone, on my iPhone application called Mint, and I'm checking my income all the time. And anxiety is produced. For what? To, to feed the master of security. And you guys, examine your life right now. Where are your treasures? How are the treasures on earth mastering you? And Jesus says this, simply, you cannot serve both God and wealth. Wealth is the material thing. In, in other words, where God is meant to be the only master, you can't have two. He's not saying, he's literally not saying that you have to choose. I'm saying that. What he's saying is just pointing out the obvious. You can't serve two masters. In fact, there's a Jewish um, literature, rabbinic, there's a rabbinic group in the first century that debated whether someone could have two masters. And they had a case study. It's an ancient text. Where one slave, an indentured servant, had two masters. And his two masters were brothers. And guess what happened? One day, one of the masters freed him. Well, guess what? He's still enslaved. And what their, their assumption or what their conclusion was is that a slave required complete devotion and Jesus is using that type of thinking, and that's why it's phrased this way. It comes from a, a rabbinic literature. He's using that type of thinking to say discipleship requires the same loyalty that slavery does. And I, and I use the word slavery not in the way that American history has used it, but in a way that the Old 
text uses it, the ancient times, more of an indentured servant. That's what discipleship requires. And so for us, we have to decide, are we choosing to serve God or wealth or lust or image? Insert master here. Because what happens is, as we'll see next week, um, this builds up for the, the kind of the final blow. Jesus says, well, okay, you can choose God or wealth. You can't do both, because if you do, you're going to have a life of anxiety, because you'll never serve one of them fully. And the word anxious comes from this Latin root uh, used for Christians being pulled apart by horses. Literally, you'll be pull, pulled apart by trying to do both. And so to summarize the whole thing, before we move into response, I just want to read this. The issue, the issue of this passage is not about wealth. But it's about absolute discipleship. Our treasures become, as it happens, un- unless they are lined up with the kingdom of heaven, they become the largest distractions to our discipleship. What's most important is where our heart lies. And the nature of discipleship is such that it allows no such divide in loyalty. And it, uh, if one chooses to follow Jesus, the commitment and service entailed are absolute. It is impossible to be partially committed to Jesus. You cannot be part-time disciple as far as Jesus is concerned. So whether the God is wealth or any other thing, the master that we're called to serve is God. So, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? This one was, was a difficult message for me because I think it speaks so clearly to so much. And I feel like even the examples I've used tonight, this morning, um, some of you obviously are resonating with them. We all treasure stuff. What, what would it look like? I mean, I was just dreaming for a second. I was like, what would it look like for the garden, our little local church, you know, brand new, to release the economy of God on the city of Long Beach? The economy of the kingdom of God on the city of Long Beach. What if generosity arose from this community that spiritual dynamics were broken in the city? What if we actually lived with God as our master and the things of the kingdom of heaven as our master? I think some of us, I mean, I think there's just a reality that some of us, our bank accounts are our master. And not only that, this is my biggest frustration. I'm so tired of Sunday Christianity. I am so sick of it. That is going to be the battle we fight until we're dead. The church is not something that happens on Sunday. It's who we are seven days a week. Part-time discipleship is basically how most of us have lived. Are you inviting the kingdom of God into your business practice? Into your time with friends? Into your workout time? Because you know what? Sometimes I come in on Sunday and I just don't feel like worshiping, but I get reminded by, by the college students that are st- setting up how big our God is. And it causes me to worship. Despite my emotions, I've had a horrible week, a few months actually, 
stroke, um, the aunt passed away. All these things are lining up, but I can still come here because I know who Jesus is. And I could sing worship songs. I'm sorry that was a little off, but I, I think we need to get that. What would it look like for you guys to be released as full-time disciples today? What would it look like for our investments to have a return that is so beyond us? We just don't know what to do with it. I mean, for God, for those that struggle with security, what would it look like for you at the end of the day to say, God is my refuge and strength? That's the heavenly realms. That's, that's accessing the treasures in heaven. Let's pray. I'm just going to wait for a second before I pray and just invite the Spirit to move. Lord, would you just come right now? Just invite you. You're already moving. Just bless what you're doing, Father. Just bless what you're doing. Lord, I pray for those that just need to release their treasure right now. For those that struggle with image, God, specifically those with security, with, that are just struggling with their jobs even, that their job has defined them. Help us to choose today, Lord. Help us to choose and to make that first step into to no longer living as a part-time disciple, no longer serving two masters. May we just surrender our treasures to you right now and invite you in. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from The Garden or would like to find out more about The Garden Church, please visit us on the web at thegardenlb.org.